What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Save the planet. Save the planet from Donald Trump. What do you say? Hello, everybody. On a Friday, this is it, Friday, June 2nd, the day after the United States abdicated its leadership of the free world, we join you here on the Bill Press Show. Off we go with the news of the day, really dominated by one story, that disaster, that clown performance uh, in the Rose Garden yesterday at the White House. I was there. It was shocking. It was outrageous. It was dangerous. It was unbelievable. And we'll uh, tell you all about it and what it means. And just try, try. Uh, I know we only have two hours, so it's going to be hard. We will try to keep you up to date on all the lies told by the president of the United States yesterday in the Rose Garden. It was a sunny day, but I kept expecting lightning to strike at any time. Thank you for joining us today as we come to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., with the news of the day, that announcement denounced by just about anybody with half a brain around the world from uh, many, many governors of the United States, many cities, city mayors from the United States, including the mayor of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, if you please, and by leaders around the world, Angela Merkel and Theresa May and Emmanuel Macron, among the leaders of those. We'll get right to it and your take on the news of the day. But first... This is the Full Court Press. Yes, indeed. Just a couple of other stories making news here on a Friday. Bill, do you think you get enough sleep? Do you think you get a good night's sleep? All right. Well, that's that's good news. There is a large new study. Uh, They researched people who get the best sleep and they actually found out that people who get the best sleep are actually having more sex. According to a new study, women over the age of 50 who get fewer than seven hours of sleep are less likely to report being sexually active than their peers who sleep more. Now, sleep disorders can get in the way of sex, of course, but they say that if you want to have better sleep, have better sex, and then you'll have better sleep, which means you'll have better sex. It just sort of feeds into itself, right? You buy that, right? This story is so ridiculous. I mean, you could could tie that to anything, right? Well, they tied it to sex. To how often you change your socks or something. I mean, it's stupid. I, I, this it's makes stupid. sense to me, doesn't, right? It doesn't make any sense. Of course. Come on. Right. The American Association. Right, for the record, I'm for more sex and more sleep. That's what. I, that's all I'm trying to say all here. Right. That's yeah, all right. I'm trying to all say. Right. Good. So that's the good news. You can know how to have a better uh, sleep life and a better sex life. Here's the bad news. There is uh, a new study that takes a look at the most peaceful nations on Earth. Okay? It's the Global Peace Index. It comes out every year. 
And we are at number 114. 114. We are just above, excuse me, just behind, just behind Armenia and Rwanda. <laughs> Iceland is the most peaceful country in the world. New Zealand, Portugal, Australia, well, Denmark, until, Austria. Until uh, Denmark. the next volcano pops. Yeah, right. right. So that, what, what goes into this? Uh, so they say that in America, the growing intensity of internal conflict within the country is what feeds into this the most, according to the Global Peace Index. They count the presidential election as part of the reasons that we are not very peaceful. There's a lot of discord in the country. Criminality here, they say that they've seen some rising homicide rates in major American cities, along with terrorist attacks on American soil. So all of those things factor into why we are the 114th most peaceful nation in the world. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm not, I'm not surprised at that. No, I'm not either. But like the fact that Armenia and Rwanda are better off than we are, that's terrifying. It is. That yeah. should that should terrify it. I don't feel good about it. Uh, yeah. You know what? It's time to make America great again. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Hello, friends and neighbors. What do you say on a Friday? Great to see you today. It is the uh, Bill Press Show. That's me. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C. Last time we checked, our studio on Capitol Hill in Washington, D.C., bringing you all the news of the day, such as it is. It is mainly centered on one big event, of course, and that is, pardon me, the announcement by Donald Trump that he is, in fact, uh, did, in fact, withdraw the United States from the Paris Accords as of yesterday. Actually, uh, the way it works, it takes four years to do that, but we will no, lo no longer be participating and be officially out uh, four years from now. Uh, assuming Donald Trump is still the president of the United States, yeah. God forbid, uh, and assuming no other president has reversed that, there would still be time to get back in. We'll bring all that news of the day here on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Good to see you on YouTube and on Free Speech TV. Looking at you coast to coast as well. Uh, and we in, uh, of course, also WCPT, let's not forget, out in Chicago land. Uh uh, and we invite your comments. We want to hear from you what you think about this announcement. Yes, he did exactly what we expected him to do yesterday. Uh, no surprises. After all, this is the president who said as a candidate that global warming was a hoax invented by the Japanese. He called the Paris Accords a bad deal. He pledged to get out of it, and he did so yesterday. What do you think about all of this? What does it mean for the planet? What does it mean for the United States? What does it mean for the economy and for the environment? Your comments welcome on Twitter, at BP Show. Let's hear from you on Twitter, at BP Show. A couple of other stories we'll bring you up to date on, too. James Comey now scheduled to testify next Thursday, June 8th, in front of the Senate Intelligence uh, Committee, the Trump administration, Having lost uh, three times at least, if not four, in the uh, lower courts, uh, 
uh, has on the travel ban has appealed the Muslim travel ban to the Supreme Court of the United States. Um, that's not a sure thing either. Uh, and Hillary Clinton turning around and uh, accusing uh, the DNC of contributing to her loss, blaming her loss partly on the Democratic National Committee, the old DNC, of course, the new head of the DNC, Tom Perez, will be here in studio with us a little bit later to answer those charges and to tell us what the DNC is all up to about regaining, getting back the House and the Senate and state legislatures and governorships around the country. But got to start yesterday. I have to tell you, uh, I was there in the Rose Garden yesterday. Uh, it was hard. It was very, very hard. I have to tell you, I did it for you. I went there for you, and I kept my cool. Well, I didn't really keep my cool. It was about 110 degrees in the Rose Garden. Uh, but I did not stand up and shout, liar, liar. I wanted to. It was hard not to. It was a, a, a disgraceful performance I, th- th- by a man who has no business being anywhere close to the White House, let alone sitting at the desk in the Oval Office. And it was bad. Before we get to what Trump said, the whole setting was so outrageous in so many ways. First of all, I mean, I've been in Rose Garden for news conferences many times. This has never happened before. You wa- we walked in the Rose Garden, and the Marine Band, not the March Band, a little jazz combo that usually plays like for the dinners. They have them in the foyer of the White House for a little moon music. A little, they're playing light jazz right on the little patio where Barack Obama had the beer summit with the cops from, uh, from Cambridge. A four-person, I tweeted it out, so if you follow me on Twitter, you would have seen it, a little jazz band. I mean, what was that all about, right? I, somebody, I saw somebody tweeted out, this gang would hold a buffet dinner for an execution, you know? It was like, yeah, I mean, I, and as I tweeted out, what are they going to play? Au revoir, Paris? Yeah, I mean, it was so just sick, right? And then... So there were like maybe five rows of reporters with the cameras in back of us. And then all in front of us and all around the sides and in the back were hordes of White House staffers that they had walked over from the old executive office building and from the White House and from the Treasury Department to pack the stands, to pack the Rose Garden, to applaud Donald Trump turning into a big campaign rally. But again, I've been to many rallies. Never. I mean, this was just, it was just disgusting, this whole show. of Again, it was like a Trump rally. And then it starts off with Mike Pence introducing the president about what a wonderful man he is, and he's been fighting for Americans every day since he was elected, and he's here to make America great again. God, I'm telling you, I just wanted to Row up. And then we get to Donald Trump. And let me tell you something. Yeah, he did it. He withdrew from the Paris Accords. And he and he based his argument on one lie after another. I'm telling you, he just stood up there and lied, lied, lied. I don't know I don't know where to start. I mean, start just thinking of the things that he said. For example, he said that the Paris Accords, it it forces the United States to give up coal plants 
and, al- and, and allows China and India to build all the coal plants that they want. That is absolutely a lie. It is just not true. The Paris Accord, first of all, it's a volunteer agreement, and every country sets its own goals as to how they're going to achieve the goal of reducing carbon emissions. So the United States could continue to build as, to open as many coal plants as we want under the agreement. So could China. So could India. As a matter of fact, coal, we're not opening, for the most part, I'll get to that in a second, coal plants in, a, in, in this country. Uh, we have lost... 60,000 coal miner jobs since the year uh, 2011. Why? Not because we're shutting them down. Because they can't compete anymore with natural gas and with solar and with wind. That's why those jobs are going away and they're not coming back. But the point is, we could, if we wanted to, open a new coal mine every week under the Paris Accords as long as we found another way to reach our goal. And as a matter of fact, China and India, it's funny, I was sitting alongside of a reporter from India yesterday, and everything that Trump said about India, this guy said is absolutely totally false. China and India, they may they have more coal plants maybe than we do or whatever, but they are the leaders now in renewable energy, in renewable energy production. They've, they've set their goals. They've get, they're, one of the ways they're getting to their goals is through solar and wind and reducing coal. But the point is, every country, nothing is forced on any country. Any country can do what it wants to do, can achieve its goal the way it wants to do. Donald Trump is just misrepresenting what the Paris Accord is all about. And think about it. Again, 195 nations, even freaking North Korea, as part of the Paris Accords. Nicaragua, because it doesn't go far enough, wouldn't sign it. So it's basically the S- Syria and the United States now that are not part of this, again, cooperative agreement. It's not a binding agreement on anybody. It doesn't force the United States to do anything. And for Donald Trump to say that is one big, fat lie. And there it is. And he puts it out there. And by the way, he did, he did crow, and that's all I want to get to that, that we're going to open a new coal plant in September. Isn't this great? That shows how great I am. A new coal plant. Isn't this gr- making America great again? Yeah, there is a new coal plant. It's going to open in western Pennsylvania in September. It's called the Acosta plant. Uh, guess how many jobs? 70 jobs. There you go. Destroy the planet. 70 jobs. Lost 60,000 coal jobs since 2011. There's a new, new, new coal mine, 70 jobs. Donald Trump says, this is why we have to get out of Paris. It's so disgusting. <clears throat> you know, like, a couple of thoughts on this. First yeah. of all, when you look at the economy and you look at what's growing and you look at the industry that's growing, right? And I don't want to take this down just to a base level of money, right? But green jobs, the green economy is booming. There's good business there. And it's the right way to do business, too, right? Like you're doing something that's that's environmentally conscious. But it's also good. Like you want to create jobs? Have some people start putting in solar panels, wind farms, totally. new kinds of technology, right? Yeah. Where, yeah. where we're harnessing smarter energy. And the other thing about this is, you know, the Trump administration is still hiding behind the fact 
that he does not believe in climate change. They, they, they won't answer it, right? Like they, They're not saying, oh, he doesn't believe in climate change, so this is right. why we're doing this. They're saying this is good for business, this is good for the economy, we need a better deal, which is all garbage. It's total garbage. Right. So, yeah, no, absolutely. He, uh, on your point, uh, there. This is today, right? Uh, there, for every one job in coal, there are five people today working in renewable energy. God. Okay. Say so, no more. That's like that's. Yeah. We don't have to go any farther than that. And he cites his BS study, by the way, that was paid for by the U.S. Chamber of Commerce, that says. That if, oh, if we keep at this thing by 2040, we will have lost six and a half million jobs. What? Everybody has discounted that. And what the people from Apple and the people from Google and the people from uh, Elon Musk, Tesla, and all the rest are saying is, you know, no, American innovation and American technology is already zooming ahead of these old fossil fuel coal jobs into whole new industries and whole new technologies, and 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 they're going to which will far surpass. Any industrial jobs that might that might be lost, uh, in, again in the in the oil industry or in the or in the or in the, uh, or in the coal industry, uh, because of moving into renew, renewable energy. So the whole thing. By by the way, just just one little other little factoid. You know, Donald Trump started out by saying, he he always starts out by bragging and by lying, and he started out by saying, uh, oh, since November eight, when I was elected. We have this is this is just one little factoid to show you how the lies he told. We've created, he said, over a million new jobs. Washington Post this morning. Actually, they went back and they went month to month. The labor the labor reports, right? How many new jobs each month? Uh, and the new jobs since November. By the way, remember he doesn't take over, so he doesn't get credit really for November or December or January. But any you give him credit for all of them, even if you add them all up, it's four hundred ninety three thousand jobs so he even in that statement he doubled the amount of new jobs that have been created in this country under president obama and under him uh in the last month so here he is let's just give you a little sample in case you missed any of it didn't get to see it donald trump with his cheering crowd there making the official uh announcement in order to fulfill my solemn duty to protect america oh, and its citizens vomit the United States will withdraw from the Paris Climate Accord. Yeah. And there are those staffers clapping. The staffers, yeah, idiots. You know, oh, it, like, just to back up idiots. for a second, it, it, like, this is everything that, that, that Republicans said that Obama was, that imperial president, that arrogant president. The, like Barack Obama never brought out the Marine Band to play jazz before he pulled out of any kind of accord or any kind of major announcement, or make right? Any announcement. He didn't need any. He didn't need any kind of no. uh, pomp and circumstance with it. This, yeah, yeah, and, and like <laughs> filling the crowd with staffers to clap. This is the same thing he did at the FBI. Every move that he makes, they applaud. Right. It's yeah. insane. This insecure so, torp. He is so insecure. So he says again, "Here we are." Now get get this. We're getting out. But uh, that second clip there, continue. We're getting out, but we will start to negotiate, and we will see if we can make a deal that's fair. And if we can, that's great. Uh, that's another lie. If we lie. can't, that's fine. Oh, yeah, there they are. They're can, party. That's they fine. Yeah, they don't know what the hell he's talking about. He doesn't know what the hell he's talking no. about. 
as uh, many people pointed out yesterday, including most of the European leaders, you can't do what Donald Trump said. You cannot. This is not a deal that can be renego- renegotiated. The idea, he's just lying. The idea that 195 countries are all going to get back together again and negotiate another deal, it, that does, the possibility doesn't exist. Even the framework of Paris does not provide that opportunity. You're out, you're in, or you're out. So he tries to con people into thinking this is as bad as you think because we're going to sit down and renegotiate another deal. And no, if we can't, not. that's fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> By the way, some, some of the responses I mean, around the world I thought was great. Um, you know, Paris City Hall yesterday, that they, they, they lit it up in green, green yeah. uh, yesterday uh, to show this. Um, I thought that uh, um, Emmanuel Macron, we'll get to him in just a second here, but he said yesterday, uh, no, Donald Trump is wrong. There is no plan B because, he said, there is no planet B. Oh, that's pretty good. Whoa, yeah. that's pretty good. That's that's good. That just wraps it up. Here is Macron yesterday saying, uh, uh, picking up on Make America Great Again. Uh, maybe there's something more important. Least to speaking in English, catch on here. A little difficult in the beginning to understand. Wherever we live, whoever we are, we all share the same responsibility. Go ahead. Make our planet great again. Yeah, man. I love that. Right in Donald Trump's face. Make our planet. He speaks with that Obama deliberacy. Yeah, well. he does, doesn't it's he? Amazing. He yeah. absolutely does. Yeah. You know, something you've been saying since uh, Trump was elected is it, it's going to come down to the cities to lead, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think it was amazing yesterday to watch how many people were ready for this and how many people said, here at home, we're going we're gonna to make sure we take care of business. Jerry Brown put out, I think, right. the most extensive plan. He's oh, talked yeah. to other governments around the world oh, yeah. and said, we're going to fall in line with that. The, the, one of the big takeaways, I don't want to step on your toes here, one of the big takeaways from Trump's speech when he said, I'm here to represent Pittsburgh oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. and not Paris. Here he is. Here he is. Yeah. In fact, i got to say, if I were writing the Trump speech, this was a clever, clever line. Here it is. I was elected to represent the citizens of Pittsburgh, not Paris. Well, but it's it's a, it's a good line. However, However, the mayor of Pittsburgh quickly put out a tweet that said, "Fact: Hillary Clinton received eighty percent of the vote in Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh stands with the world and will follow the Paris Agreement." Here is the mayor of Pittsburgh, Bill Peduto. Uh, how we cleaned up Pittsburgh. I call it false hope, and I know them. I know them personally. They they Talk live the around miners. our city. My, I have family that lives in West Virginia. And what I say to them is look at the example of what Pittsburgh was able to do. If there was ever a hope from the Paris Agreement in an example of a city, I mean, Anderson, our air was so bad, we had to have our streetlights on 24 hours. But we understood that we would build out a new economy and it would take time. And, uh, and he did so. So the mayor of Pittsburgh saying, no, we're sticking with the program. How about the mayor of Seattle, Ed Murray, out in Seattle? Uh Uh-uh. Seattle's not going away. I've joined with mayors from 60 other cities today to announce that we will honor our commitments to the Paris Accords. And you mentioned uh, Governor Jerry Brown from from California, which has the best and the strongest 
climate change policy underway in terms of they they have they, they the California Public Utilities Commission uh, just passed a ruling saying that I think it's by 2025 2030 whatever that um, uh, uh, California utilities have to be 100% renewable energy I mean California is the largest state in the union and what in terms of uh, economies I think it's like maybe the fifth or sixth or something worldwide in the world in the world in the world right so so let Donald Trump do what he wants to do. I mean, California and a lot of others. Mayor, Mayor uh, Andrew Cuomo yesterday yeah, yeah, yeah. announced yesterday in New York a whole new plan to put New York up there in the leadership uh, in the field of renewable energy. Again, here's Governor Jerry Brown says yesterday saying it's not it's it's not um, impossible. We'll do the impossible. Jerry Brown. We are doing what uh, President Trump says is impossible. We're observing the Paris Agreement or its equivalent, and we're creating jobs. Yeah, and as Jerry Brown says, Donald Trump, wrong about everything. The whole premise that somehow the Paris Agreement loses jobs, the exact opposite. So Mr. Trump is wrong on jobs, wrong on the facts, wrong on science, wrong on public opinion. Uh, So with all that on our side, I believe we will overcome. (laughs) <laughs> wrong on this, wrong on this, wrong on this, wrong on this. He is. It was absolutely epic. And I'll tell you something else he is wrong on. I want to go back to Donald Trump for a second. This is where I just want to – I'm telling you, I hope you admire my restraint. I hope you admire the fact that I did keep it under control. It was very, very difficult. Either either the, 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 the feeling I wanted to throw up or the feeling I wanted to stand up and scream out loud. Uh, here is, and you know, if this were a commencement ceremony, I would have been one of those students who stood up and walked Walked out. out, Oh, total, total. Uh, so the president now saying how, how big of environmentally is, environmentalist he is. Nobody cares about the environment more than Donald Trump. As someone who cares deeply about the environment, which I do, I cannot in good conscience support a deal that punishes the United States, which is what it does. Oh, you, again, I want. Not, I just was waiting for lightning to strike him dead at the on the spot. It which is such I do. A lie. He has done nothing since January twenty. Nothing but sign executive order after executive order to re to reverse every single environmental policy and action taken by Barack Obama, and particularly. Anything that put us on the way to dealing with climate change, from new cafe standards to the new rules for new power plants across the board, and nothing that he did worse than appointing that total idiot climate denier, Scott Pruitt, as head of the EPA. And you, you, go, you, go with a, you go with this guy who had sued the EPA 14 times, and you listen to him as opposed to listening to Warren Buffett or Elon Musk, or Tim Cook, or Jeff Bezos, or even uh, Bob Iger from Disney. Bob, I- Bob out. Iger from Disney. Think of the Jamie Dimon. Yeah, Wall Street. All of those our leading our businesses, the the top corporate leaders in this country, all of whom said, including I forget his name now, but the head of Exxon Mobil, who the guy who stepped in when Rex Tillerson became Secretary of State, all of them across the board saying, no, 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 Mr. President. The corporate America, this is good for us. This is the future. This is where we're moving. 
We have to be the leader here. And instead, he goes with Scott Pruitt, this idiot attorney general from Oklahoma. I mean, it's just unbelievable. Here's a little nugget I'm sure you'll appreciate. Scott Pruitt, who uh, who spoke yesterday, Donald Trump turned the podium over to him. Yeah, he's, <clears throat> he's an evil dude, and he's doing a lot of damage. And Donald Trump really, and Scott Pruitt painted the French out to be really bad people yesterday, right? Like, he, he's almost oh. made it personal uh, against France. Well, the whole thing was us versus them. Yeah, it was very, very America bad. first, America first, America first. Like, like, everybody else is the enemy, you know, and we can't do anything in cooperation with any other country. Last night, uh, Scott Pruitt and his aides went out to dinner to celebrate at Le Diplomate, a French bistro here in Washington, D.C. Oh, my God. That's where they went. To it is an actual mistake. <laughs> yeah, that's where he went. Yeah. The optics, as they say, are not very good. Uh, I've been there. I'll never go there again. <laughs> they should have kicked his ass out. They should have kicked his ass out. Exactly. <laughs> Man, I got to tell you. All right. We'll be talking about that throughout the day again. Um uh, Amy Harder, who uh, covers energy issues for Axios. She was there yesterday, too. We'll, uh, she'll be joining us here uh, right after a quick break. But a couple of other stories that are at least worth mentioning. James Comey, uh, or James Cafefe, uh, <laughs> former FBI director. It's now official. He will testify next Thursday. Uh, so set your calendar, folks. This is a must-watch, must-see uh, testimony in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee. Uh, he is there to testify to them about Donald Trump's efforts and plea for James Comey to shut down the FBI investigation uh, in order to go easy on Michael Flynn. That is set for next week. Uh, the uh, Trump administration yesterday took its Muslim ban, which they failed to get through the uh, Ninth Court of Appeals or through the Fourth Court of Appeals. It's been blocked ever since uh, Donald Trump signed it. Uh, they've now appealed it to the full Supreme Court, which will be hearing that case. That's also going to be a must-watch uh, session whenever they do our oral arguments on. Uh, and remember, <laughs> what has uh, uh, killed the attempts to get this Muslim ban approved by the courts every step of the way so far have been Donald Trump's own tweets and Donald Trump's own comments and his own statements as a candidate that he wanted to ban all Muslims from coming to this country. Uh, those comments, you know, will be coming up again when it goes in front of the Supreme Court. And again, yesterday, uh, Hillary Clinton making yet another public appearance uh, where she said that she is vowed she is not going to go away and once again blamed her loss uh, last November on, in part, now, this is a new one. She's blamed it before on Bernie, on Russians, on Comey. Now she's blaming it on the DNC. So uh, we are very pleased that uh, Tom Paris, ahead of the DNC, will be along a little bit later in the program, and we'll let him respond. And by the way, Hillary he, Clinton. he is going to be taking questions from oh, yeah. you via yeah. Twitter. Yeah. Yeah. So get on Twitter. Find us at BP Show, at BP Show. Give us a follow. And send us your question for uh, Tom Perez, Chairman Perez. Right. And while you're on Twitter, don't forget to send us your comments about yep. Donald Trump's uh, withdrawal from the, uh, uh, from the uh, Paris Accords. Uh, I think Fareed Zakaria on, um, on CNN said it best last night when he said, we are no longer 
no longer the leader. Here he is. If it proves to be what we think it is, this will be the day that the United States resigned as the leader of the free world. Uh, it's, it's nothing short of that. The, the, irres the irresponsibility of this act is breathtaking. As Donald Trump might say in one word, sad. Mm. Amy Harder joining us next. Quick break. We'll be right back. And if we can, that's great. And if we can't, that's fine. Download our podcast, search for The Bill Press Show on iTunes, and remember to rate, review, and subscribe. This is The Bill Press Show. Si sigues haciendo esa cara, se te va a congelar así. No, a menos que usted esté en un lugar muy, muy frío. Otra galleta, te vas a convertir en una galleta. Nunca nadie se ha convertido en una galleta. En realidad, muchas de las advertencias de mamá son exageraciones. Si no te haces chequear la presión, podrías tenerla alta, ni saberlo, y morir de un ataque al cerebro. Pero en este caso, ella tiene razón. Llame a la Asociación Americana del Corazón o para aprender más, visite nuestro sitio en el web. Georgia. Hi, this is Willie Nelson, and I need your help. Alcohol prohibition didn't work in the 20s, and marijuana prohibition isn't working today. It's time we stop arresting law-abiding citizens because they prefer marijuana over alcohol. Nearly 2,000 Americans are arrested every day on marijuana charges. We're unfairly destroying the lives and careers of hundreds of thousands of people each year simply because they smoke marijuana. These are not criminals. They're average citizens like you, good neighbors who work hard, raise families, pay taxes, and contribute to their communities. We need your help to end marijuana prohibition once and for all. It's the fair thing to do. For more information, contact Normal, the National Organization for the Reform of Marijuana Laws. Call toll-free 888-67-NORML or visit their website at norml.org. You put your keys between your knuckles. Someone approaches you and you cross to the other side of the street. You lock the door behind you, maybe twice. Now you feel safe. You think you've made the right choices to protect yourself. Think again. Because if you're not eating right, if you're not active, or if you smoke, you're putting yourself at risk for disease. Learn to protect yourself from yourself at everydaychoices.org. A message from the American Cancer Society, American Diabetes Association, American Heart Association, and the Ad Council. Michael Vick's guilty plea didn't solve the problem of dogfighting in America, but it has put a spotlight on a barbaric practice more common than you might imagine. More than a quarter of a million dogs are placed into fighting pits each year by people who like to watch the bloodletting. I'm Wayne Pacelli, President and CEO of the Humane Society of the United States. Please join our 10 million members in the campaign to wipe out dogfighting in America. If you've been repulsed by the video clips you've seen in the news, if you're disgusted by the cruelty, and if you think staged animal fights have no place in our communities, then take an active role now. We're going to put dogfighting out of business. To find out how, visit us at humanesociety.org. You'll get the information, the tools, and the connections you need to stop dogfighting in its tracks. Let us hear from you. Help us protect these animals from cruel and abusive treatment. A message from the Humane Society of the United States. Learn more at humanesociety.org.
same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. All right, on Friday, Friday, June 2nd, it is the uh, Bill Press Show. We are here in Washington, D.C., but uh, actually there with you everywhere you are in this great land of ours, alongside of you on youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show and Free Speech TV. Out in the Chicago area on WCPT and uh, everywhere on our podcast as well. We're brought to you today by the United Steelworkers. Talk about good American jobs. Under their international president, Leo Girard, the United Steelworkers, America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. Check out their website at usw.org. I wasn't the only one baking in the Rose Garden yesterday, Donald Trump deliberately, it was called for 3 o'clock. We were out there at by 2.30, and we sat there until 3.30, baking in the hot sun. Don't tell me Donald Trump didn't do that on purpose, just to make us suffer. But Amy Harder was there, too, from uh, Axios, so I had a little good company. Hi, Amy. How are you? Morning. Uh, so have you done the, uh, or were you doing it while you were sitting there, the fact check uh, of uh, everything the president said yesterday? I mean, first of all, uh, let's start out with the fact that the under the Paris Accord, it prevents, we can't build any n- new coal plants, but China can and India can and anybody else can, but the United States can't. Right. Well, that's not entirely accurate. The Paris Agreement is not nearly as concrete as some people in the Trump administration and the president himself has wanted to make it seem. It doesn't actually require anything of the United States at all. Um, It just requires a 26 to 28 percent reduction. um, And it doesn't even require that. That's really what the Obama administration said it would do. Um, So each country sets its goal, right, And mm -hmm. and then says, here's how we're going to achieve that goal. Each country makes its own plan. Right. And actually, the this whole debate is so much more about symbolism than it is about concrete regulations. Trump was always going to get rid of the one big Obama regulation that does actually make it um, very unlikely that the U.S. is going to build another coal plant. Now, that being said, most companies are not going to be building coal plants anyways because of all the natural gas in the U.S. So... Um, and Trump was always going to get that, uh, get rid of that regulation. And everybody who wanted Trump to stay in the Paris Agreement, like Ivanka Trump, like Secretary of State Rex Tillerson, they also wanted him to get rid of this EPA regulation. So we're not talking about whether or not staying in and being ambitious on climate change. It's really a lesser of two evils. Even Gary Cohn, President's Chief Economic Advisor, uh, got in a little hot water at the White House the other day because he said that coal doesn't even make sense, make that much sense anymore uh, as a feedstock. Why not? Because we have so much natural gas. Natural gas, um, over the last decade, the U.S. has uh, tapped into all of these resources um, beneath the, the U.S., largely in places like Pennsylvania, thanks to fracking, which is a very controversial technology. But nonetheless, it has enabled the U.S. to move off of coal. So really, the climate policy of both Obama and Trump can be boiled down to fracking, which is sort of ironic, right, because most environmentalists don't like fracking. But because there's so much natural gas, it's cheaper. It burns much more cleanly than coal. It has uh, pushed out coal in the market. And how about uh, solar and wind? Solar wind is doing that in some places, but it's not, natural gas is the, the yeah. biggest reason for that. But solar and wind are growing in terms of Definitely. part of the energy economy. They're growing a lot, and even despite some of the um, all of this negative negativity about climate change from the Trump administration, 
people I talk to say that the renewable energy industry is going to be growing as long as Congress doesn't do anything with its tax credits. Back in the end of 2015, yeah. there was a, an important deal that Congress passed to extend some tax credits for wind and solar. If those go away, that would be, I don't want to say death knell, but it would really grind to a halt uh, the growth of both of those industries. Is Congress likely to do that? It seems unlikely now, but you just never know when, if tax reform happens, which Trump said yesterday he's still as confident it will. Um, uh, all things are on the table, uh, and especially when they're looking for a pay for, you know, the border adjustment tax seems to be dead. A carbon tax is even more dead than that. They will be looking for pay fors wherever they can get them, and those might be some of the options um, on the table. Uh, and by the way, I know this isn't your area. But you just mentioned it, and I, I, I'm reminded that was another thing that Donald Trump said yesterday. He just threw it out there that our tax bill uh, is doing so great. We have that clip, Jamie, where it, and uh, it, you know it's moving along. Republicans are doing a great job on this uh, on this tax bill. Here he is. Yeah. Our tax bill is moving along in Congress, and I believe it's doing very well. I think a lot of people will be very pleasantly surprised. The Republicans are working very, very hard. I think the people maybe that were most surprised by that statement are the senators because there is no tax bill. There's, there is no tax bill. We haven't seen a tax bill. There's no tax bill floating. None's been introduced. There, yeah, there are conversations, by the way, about a tax reform bill, right, which is different than a tax cut bill, but... Uh, I don't know. It was just kind of strange that he threw that. Right. I mean, there. he it's it's really somewhat in character of the president, though, to 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 paint a picture that is much rosier than what's actually happening on the ground. So I think doing tax reform by the end of the year is going to be a very heavy lift. Yeah. Yeah. It's not. And, and I'm paying attention to it um, as an energy reporter. It, it has a huge impact um, on all industries. Um, if you ask if you ask ExxonMobil, their top concern is taxes, taxes and taxes. So it's definitely something I'm paying attention to. And, and like I just said, with the renewable energy industry, it's also their top federal concern as well. What why would ExxonMobil um, support the Paris Accord? Well, going back to what I just said, natural gas, They're, Exxon is not supporting this because of altruistic reasons. No company really would support anything for altruistic reasons. Right. We, we live in yeah. a capitalistic yeah. society. But they're supporting it for a couple of reasons. One, they bought XTO Energy back in 2010, I think. that At the time, that company was the largest natural gas producer in the U.S., and Exxon acquired it. So now Exxon is the largest producer of natural gas in the U.S. And natural gas burns 50% fewer carbon emissions than coal and is poised to gain under any car um, carbon-constrained uh, regulatory environment. So they see a financial benefit. And that's also why you see Shell and BP really backing it. And also Exxon is in a, in a unique position because they're under a lot of pressure. Um, there's been some investigations by some Democratic attorney generals into um, the, how the company has portrayed climate change over the years. So they're facing a lot of pressure. Just the other day, in fact, um, it was quite shocking. The day that Axios um, had the scoop that um, Trump was going to uh, pull out of the Paris deal, ExxonMobil's investors in Dallas, Texas, 
voted 62% to urge the company to disclose more information on climate change. Hmm. That's up from 38% last year. That's shocking, actually. Yeah, and right. it's maybe a little wonky, but it's, it's, it's striking to see the contrast between Exxon, the investors of ExxonMobil, traditional investors, are wanting climate action as Washington is receding on the issue. And who then in the energy, and where, where, where was the pressure, you've written about this, where was the pressure coming from on Donald, other than Steve Bannon and, and Scott Pruitt, where was the pressure coming from on Trump to get out of Paris? Well, those two guys really helped orchestrate a, a, a big campaign to urge the president, a big public campaign to urge the president to withdraw. I would say that in aggregate numbers, there's m more people who wanted him to stay in the deal than to pull out of the deal. But you had, um, I think, one key part, which also Axios broke, um, a, um, a letter that 22 Senate Republicans sent to the president last week. And it included Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, who um, sources tell me rarely signs letters. So the fact that he was on it was an indication that either A, McConnell was pretty confident that Trump was going to um, actually withdraw from the deal, or he already had a sense that that's what was going to happen because he didn't. He wasn't going to be a majority leader. Well, he was. He was there because the coal companies wanted him. Yeah, there. but but there's lots of letters that go about on coal that McConnell doesn't sign. So so that was an important um, yeah. turn in the debate. Um, and you know, Scott Pruitt went on Fox News a lot and other places to talk about what a bad deal this was, um, and all of those. These voices are more relevant and were more persistent than say. Rex Tillerson. You didn't see Rex Tillerson going on Fox News talking about what a good deal he thought it was. Um, well, and I don't think they would let him. Right. But, so, but, uh, <laughs> but obviously Scott the, Pruitt so went on there. The coal companies wanted this. Um, you mentioned some of the biggest oil companies actually wanted to stay in. Um, I'm just I'm just looking for the corporate U.S. Chamber of Commerce. I guess wanted them out. Koch brothers? U.S. Chamber, yeah. Koch brothers um, didn't support it, more from a philosophical perspective. The Chamber of Commerce didn't have a position um, officially because their members are so divided on the issue. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it seems b baffling when you just look at the names on a piece of paper. But this really, number one, Trump was never really wanting to, to stay in the deal. He's always been inclined to uh, oppose it. In fact, even though Trump has been so all over the map on so many policy issues, in fact, on climate change, he's been pretty consistent. He never, of all the tweets he's done over the years, just as a real estate tycoon in New York City, he, he's, he's said it's a hoax. He's made fun of it. Now, it's, it's important to note that he didn't say anything about the science yesterday. I was just going to ask you about that. Right. No, he didn't. Which it, is a big, one of the big takeaways for me, actually, is that was a very implicit uh, concession to the broader scientific community that, like, okay, yeah, climate change is real. But he never said that. And, in fact, throughout his, his background briefing that White House officials did with reporters afterwards, which I was at, not once did they acknowledge that they think climate change is a problem. And I think that's significant because if you don't acknowledge and if you don't think something is a problem— you're not going to want to do anything about it. It's kind of like saying, oh, we don't think we need health care or we don't need a tax code. I mean, in, in those two debates in health care and, and tax reform, both parties, Trump and the Democrats, they both think something th that Washington needs to do something. But with climate change, you don't even have Trump thinking that there's a problem at all. And I think that's a huge um, kind of gap in this debate. It was very significant. They didn't, as you're right, they didn't talk either way. They didn't 
make the argument it's a hoax, don't believe this fake science, if you will. Uh, at the same time, they didn't say this is really serious. We accept, accept that. We just differ on how, on mm -hmm. what to do about it. Right. They just focus the whole thing on the uh, on the the economy. Right. I mean, ironically, what about the job? The numbers on the job loss that we're going to lose six and a half million jobs if we stick in this agreement. I I don't see much weight in that. This deal is very abstract, very voluntary. I think the jobs numbers are much more relevant when it comes to the regulations. And again. Trump is already repealing these regulations. Uh, so I think, you know, this big abstract deal um, is not, I was talking to my Uber driver last night coming back from another radio. There's a source. <laughs> yeah, man on the street. And um, he was, he, he said something quite smart, which is that, um, you know, it's probably not going to affect me day to day, but long term it will. Um, and, and I think that's right. I mean, this wasn't going to, climate change is not going to change anybody's lives overnight unless you're employed in the advocacy side of it. Um, but I think um, oh, it's not like a trade deal where there's explicit requirements put on one country versus other countries. It's much more abstract than that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It will. Uh, and talk about that. What in, in terms of from an economic point of view, right, what the economic adverse economic impacts of climate change if we don't try to do something to slow it down is going to mean for the United States. Yeah, I mean, I think regardless, even if, um, you know, Hillary Clinton had won and we would have stayed the course with Paris, I mean, I think the costs of um, responding to and adapting to climate change are going to be very high no matter what happens. I think we're we're so far down the path. I don't want to say it's too late. It's never it's a it's a gray area. It's never black and white, but it's going to be very expensive regardless. And and you're already seeing, um, you know, Congress reacting to this in terms of, you know, Louisiana is having to pay a lot to make sure um, that it's its city, New Orleans, doesn't flood and things like that. So I think there needs to be more of a shift um, to talking about adapting to climate change in, in the wonky world of climate change. There's this big debate versus mitigation versus adaptation mitigation is stopping you know the burning of fossil fuels and adapting is is adapting and i think especially now given trump has signaled the us isn't going to lead i think the the idea that climate change is here to stay is, is becoming more and more real and i think that's something that needs to enter the political conversation more because right now everybody in the world is talking about stopping climate change when it's when it's here to stay yeah uh, we had yesterday the global policy director, John Cookett, from the Sierra Club on uh, this is his area of expertise. And he said you can't you, you cannot stop it. I mean, it is irreversible. The only thing we can do is slow it down and and deal with the impacts, I guess, so that uh, the sea levels are going to rise. But maybe we can if we take some action, they won't rise as far as fast. Um and um, CO2 right, and maybe start is thinking. still out there, but maybe we can reduce and make more areas breathable and livable. And start thinking about how, you know, maybe moving away from those areas that are right along the sea levels. I mean, that, that seems a little extreme, but... Huh. I no, mean, they're talking about yeah, it. Yeah, and I, I, mean, and I think it needs to enter the political conversation more because you only well, hear as you about... you point out, in Louisiana, they already are. In Miami, mm -hmm. they already are. In New York, they're talking about building breakwaters around Manhattan, right, to prevent the, the, the rise of sea levels there or to prevent the flooding, right? The Navy is talking about relocating parts of the Norfolk uh, 
headquarters for the Atlantic Fleet, it, you know, at the biggest naval installation in the world. So those those conversations are already underway, and they are costly, mm-hmm. enormously cost, costly, right? Um, so what about uh, we played a little earlier? Um, let's let's go back to to uh, Governor Jerry Brown if we can here, Jamie. Um, a voice from the West. We heard the mayor of Pittsburgh yesterday say, no, we're staying with the course. Mayor of Seattle, a lot of mayors, Governor Cuomo from New York, I mentioned, Governor Jerry Brown saying, Trump's wrong about everything. We're going to get it right. We are doing what uh, President Trump says is impossible. We're observing the Paris Agreement or its equivalent, and we're creating jobs. So what do you see happening at the state, at the city level? Well, I I do see states like California and New York are really going to step up to the plate and do what they can um, and what they want and what they think their their citizens want to do. I don't think they can't fill the void of what a U.S. government can do. I mean, you know, I've I've been reading reports about how states and cities have really um, stepped up and said, you know, there's a building coalition to... Uh, say that the U.S. will, that parts of the U.S. will meet the Paris Accord, but you're not hearing a lot from a large portion of the U.S. And you need, you know, especially places where a lot of the greenhouse gas emissions are coming from, like, you know, West Virginia and Kentucky and Indiana and places like that. I mean, you need, I I don't see a lot of uh, consensus throughout the U.S. about what to do. And I think that will make it much more difficult to really kind of fill the void of what will be left behind. But it does, it does create some conflicts, right, for um, the federal government cannot force California Come to think, I don't think there's any coal in California, but we're there. The federal government could not force the California to open new coal plants, right? And California can do, from that point of view, whatever the hell it wants, right? Right, and California is a big chunk of um, the the econ- the you know the U.S. economy, but it's not everything. So I don't think. You know, and I know California is going to be meeting with other countries and yeah, uh, yeah. and things like that. But it, it, not to be a negative Nancy, but I it's just I don't see it filling the void of what a U.S. Um, united front would would look like. No, no, it's not the same, but it does mean I think that uh, there will be less, perhaps less of an impact if more sta- the more states that step up to the plate, the less Donald Trump, uh, the impact of Donald Trump's decision will be. Right. But right now we I mean, pretty my, much have the, the typical states, right? California, New York and Washington State. I, I would like to hear, you know, and, you know, I, I didn't you'd get like all to the, hear Ohio and Michigan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So right, would I. Those, yeah. Mm-hmm, those are the states that if, if I saw those states stepping up, that would be more of a, a bellwether for me. Um, to really start to take notice and to, you know, think about writing some big story about it. Um, all right. Heard it here first. Uh, <laughs> uh, how healthy and robust is the renewable energy industry in terms of jobs? That's great. I just did. Um, I have a weekly column called Harder Line, and that was my topic for Harder this week. Harder Line. All right. Mm-hmm. Tell us. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's it's actually doing pretty well, regardless of, you know, all the negative rhetoric uh, coming from the Trump administration and some of the negative statements that they've made um, and policy uh, steps that they're looking to take. On the campaign trail, Trump really didn't say he either said nothing about renewable energy or he criticized it. So, you know, the what the the renewable energy industry was getting did not look very good from the onset. And then uh, the energy secretary, Rick Perry, 
launched this study to look at the reliability of the electric grid and seemed to favor fossil fuels and nuclear power over renewables, and that's causing a lot of concern. But in, in my reporting, I've, I've read that there does seem to be some genuine efforts at the department to, to do a study that's not biased. So there is some cautious optimism in the industry that at least the Trump administration won't hurt their growth. I don't think there's any illusions about Trump administration helping them grow. Um, and I think it goes back again to these tax credits. Yeah. People I talk to say the industry, especially wind and solar, traditional wind and solar, they can they can survive without the tax credits after this phase down um, over the next three years, three to four years. So I think. But are we building new wind farms? Are we building new solar? We are because of those tax installations. Credits. Mm-hmm. We are. I think North Carolina um, just in the first quarter of this year opened its first uh, wind farm, for example. Uh, and you're seeing growth in places like Washington State, my home state, um, of course, California and in Michigan. And, and so you're seeing wind. In fact, the wind group likes to say, and it's, and it's true, it's pretty sh- shocking that 86% of the wind capacity in the U.S. is actually in Republican states. And that's why, um, sorry, Republican districts, sure. congressional districts. And that's why um, you're seeing bipartisan support for these tax credits. Um, so, you know, if I had to handicap it, I would give it you know, maybe a 5% chance that the tax credits are repealed early in some sort of 11th hour um, search for a pay for, in part because, you know, um, Senator Grassley from Iowa, he said something about how Trump would repeal those tax credits over my dead body. Uh, mm. So, you know, you, you were seeing a lot of support for that. The one, this, the areas where I see not growing as much because of Trump are the even earlier technologies like offshore wind and things like that, that really need some government support and backing to get off the ground. But we still we have this first new big offshore right mm-hmm. uh, off um, the block, block island. island right and I talked with the CEO I was I was speaking at the wind conference in Anaheim a couple of weeks ago and I spoke with the CEO and he's he's very confident that uh, you know he he got their um, farm approved without any. Um, um, government support. They did um, take credit, um, take one of the tax credits, and the projects that they have in in the pipeline after that are also going to be taking advantage of these tax credits. And that's why it's so important to the industry that they don't go away. No, it's it's coming. I, I one of my recent cross country flights, I looked out. I just couldn't. I first of all almost blinded, and I realized what I was looking at was a great big solar field. You know this. I don't know, it was acres and acres of these solar panels all reflecting up on this tower or something. And uh, it's a whole new way of generating electricity. Not so new, I guess, but we're finally getting getting into it. And I'm proud to say that just uh, a block from here, we have solar panels on our roof here in Washington, D.C. And everybody could do that. And we're generating more power than we can use and selling the power back to the power company, whatever, Pepco, and getting a check from them. So we have a little power plant right on our roof. You know? yeah. That's the future, I think. Yeah. Definitely and, and is, and it's shaking up the entire electric power industry. I mean, it can get yeah. really wonky really quickly, but it's, it's having a huge impact, and you're seeing a lot of debate between uh, yeah. some of these solar companies and utilities. And I'd rather have the solar panels on the roof than a coal mine next door. Uh, and I think most Americans yeah. would. That's the way it goes. Amy, you are right on top of this. This is your time, your issue. Thanks so much for coming in. Thanks for having me on. At Axios.com. This is the Bill Press Show. Tonight, someone almost brought Jack Thomas something to eat. 
Someone else almost drove him to a shelter, and another almost brought him a warm blanket. On any given night, you'll find people like Jack Thomas camped out on cold, lonely street corners in cities all over the country. You'll see them sleeping in doorways, on benches, just trying to find a little warmth. A lot of people almost helped Jack Thomas, but they didn't. And Jack Thomas, well, he almost made it through the night. As generous a nation as we are, sometimes instead of giving, we almost give. But almost giving is the same as not giving at all. Don't almost give. Give. To find out how, visit our website at don'talmostgive.org. This message brought to you by the Ad Council. you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Save the planet. Save the planet from Donald Trump. God, we need help. Hello, everybody. What do you say? It is uh, Friday, Friday, June 2nd. Great to see you. Thanks for joining us here on The Bill Press Show. This beautiful Friday from our nation's capital that we're reaching out to you all across this great land of ours. Good to see you today uh, on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show and uh, every other platform that we can with the news of the day. It is mostly focused on the president's announcement yesterday, as expected, uh, that he is pulling the United States out of the Paris Accords, even though it will officially take four years to do so. So don't fret, by that time he'll be well out of the White House, <coughs> we hope, uh, and we'll be back in action. But meantime, uh, it is bad news uh, for the economy, for the environment, and of course, by the way, oh yeah, also for the planet. We'll tell you all about that. Christina Wilkie is here with us from Huffington Post. Hi, Christina. Nice Hi, to see Bill. you. Great to see you. Thank you for uh, coming in um, on another front. Uh, on the congressional level, it's going to be pretty exciting. Next Thursday, June 8, James Comey testifying in front of the Senate Intelligence Committee about Donald Trump's efforts to shut down the FBI uh, investigation. Unless. I have not been as excited about television as I had like since Game of Thrones as I am yeah, for this right. hearing. I mean, I'm cleared my schedule. I, I you know just yeah. <laughs> I got popcorn. Um, You're ready to go. It's, it should uh, be good. It should be fascinating, it especially if the president allows Comey to, you know, to, to fully speak. There is yeah. still we still have a little right. question about that. Yeah, I uh, I haven't been excited about a television show since uh, Crossfire. Uh, all right, <laughs> we <laughs> we'll get right into it with Amy and with I'm sorry, Christina. Amy Hi, Christina. Left. Right, bye, Christina. Amy. <laughs> and you, but first, this is the full court press. Just a couple of the stories making news. Oh, yeah. Bill. Right. Yes. Christina, I'm going to ask you to spell a word. All right. The word is... Kofefe. Morocane. It is a dress fabric made of warp of silk or rayon and a filling of other yarns. Morocane. M-O-R-O-A-C-A-I-N. 
I'm sorry, that's incorrect. Oh. Bill, you get the chance to win if you can spell the script Howard spelling Murricane correctly. Mark, pronounce it again. Murricane. French word. A dress fabric. Uh, okay. M U R A C A I N. Bill, I'm sorry, that's wrong. Both of you are losers. The correct pronunciation, the correct spelling is M A R O C A I N. That is a dress fabric made of warp of silk or rayon and a right, filling of M A R. She it? said M O R. Yeah. Oh, I yeah, got yeah. it. Okay. Both of you were close. You Both of you were close. Cor- you didn't pronounce it correctly. You're right. right. It's, I'm sure it's my fault. Well, that is the winning word for the National Spelling Bee Championship, which was won by Ananya Vine of Fresno, California. She is 12 years old. I know. And Amazing. she is taking home $40,000 after winning the National Spelling Bee. That was, again, the winning word. The, she went back and forth with uh, this other kid who's 14. 25 words they went back and forth. No. Wow. Yeah, and they would not miss. And some of these words, I'm going to be honest with you, I'm not even going to try and, you can't and, even and pronounce, pronounce them, let alone spell I them. I honestly can't. Like, one of these words, T C H E F U N C T E. There's another one that's got. Chofofsky? Yeah, right. Like, there's another one that's got a couple of X's in it. Like, it's not going to happen. But they spelled all of those wrong. Uh, her, you mean right, uh, right? Uh, they spelled, yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry, sorry. They spelled those words uh, right. Her opponent, Rohan Rajiv, misspelled the word Maram before she picked mm-hmm. it up, spelled that correctly, and then Mara Kane won it. She said she's going to split the four. All right, I have, with I have her a question for you. Brother. Go ahead. How do you spell coverage? C O V F E F E. Right? Exactly. Did I win? You win yeah. the $40,000. <laughs> On TV and online. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, here we go, sports fans on a Friday. Yeah, usually I'm not here on a Friday, but you know, this is such a big Friday. Uh, we're going to be here. Big day in the Rose Garden yesterday. And uh, I'm sorry I went um, <laughs> because it was bad news all the way around. Uh, I'm glad I went only in the sense that uh, I saw this big show that Donald Trump put on, uh, importing all these White House staffers out there so they could all cheer when he gave the uh, bad news that he was um, putting uh, his own ego uh, and his attempt to please his base and his supporters uh, putting more importance on that than saving the planet. Yeah, there they are. Uh, great to see you today. Thanks for joining us. We know that you uh, have many n- different options. You can join us on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Uh, on Free Speech TV, looking at you on their TV land. Uh, WCPT, what, out in Chicago. Welcome, welcome, Chicago. And don't forget, patreon.com is where now... All kinds of uh, extra stuff, exclusive stuff going up on patreon.com slash show. Check it out. Join up for a little bit, just a little bit of um, your uh, hard-earned money every month. We'll send you all kinds of uh, good stuff you can't live without. Now, Christina Wilkie here from the Huffington Post. Um, the You knew something special was going to happen when you walked in the Rose Garden yesterday and the Marine Jazz Band was playing. 
Yes, I have never. Okay, this this floored me personally. I've never seen um, a band at it a Rose never, Garden. No, no it's, it's never happened. Right, and I I don't like to say never because it's often that's just yeah, an invitation right. for someone to write yeah, and say that yeah. one time. But mm. um, I have never heard of anything like this, and and on such a serious occasion that has such enormous ramifications not only for the economy and for the planet but also for american diplomacy and for so many of the other pieces of of america's role in the world um it it really underscored i think how the word i'm coming up with is trivially how 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 mm-hmm. how offhandedly mm-hmm. it appears as though the president made made this decision and um and announced it and um and how how sort of how little long-term thought went into it all. It was really in your face to the rest of the world. The whole attitude was, um, you know, they kept saying, America first, America first, America first, as if that means that we cannot cooperate with anybody on anything, and to do so is a sign of weakness. Well, and this... this I mean, that was his message. This reflects how Trump has always seen the world. It's a zero sum. So if the United States wins, someone has to lose. And if another country wins, if India, you know, uh, improves its energy consumption or if China lowers its coal emissions, then, then somehow the United States has to lose. So, you know, he... He really shows very little ability to grasp mutual benefit and cooperation in anything. And this has been a hallmark of his career. And now we're really seeing, I think it's it's quite damaging. Um, I, I love two things that uh, the new president of France, Emmanuel Macron, said yesterday. One was, uh, in the Donald Trump's, uh, he, he, he just shot down the idea of Donald Trump that, oh, okay, we're pulling out of this, but we're going to immediately renegotiate a better deal and Macron says no 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 that that is not possible under the Paris agreements it just that 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 possibility does not exist and he said you know there is no plan b because there is no planet b oh that is was. good and then he also said uh that uh, it is time we can in fact we can maybe listen to the president of France here rather than my repeating him <laughs> about what? the second the second uh, uh bite of his both for the U.S. I do respect this decision, but I do think it is an actual mistake, both for the U.S. and for our planet. Mistake for the U.S. and for our planet, and he said it's time to make our planet great again. Right. Uh, Yeah, maybe that's like the overriding goal of all of us, right? Yeah, make America great again, fine, but how about the planet? Right. Um, and, and how about, I mean, how about um, how about sort of American leadership in the world? And I think one of the things we heard yesterday that I found especially troubling was how many countries and companies and mayors um, all came out and said that we're gonna, they're going to continue upon the path that they're on, whether it's nations remaining in the Paris Climate Agreement or companies continuing to go green or mayors continuing to reduce emissions in their cities. And and basically, White House be damned. And right. there really was an overriding sense that um, that that all these sectors were simply going to be moving on and leaving America basically back in the in the mid 20th century, which but, is where Trump's speech and where the where so many of his um, of, of his themes came from. There's no doubt. I mean, the future is renewable energy that, that you, you cannot dispute that. And, and climate change. And yeah, right. And and. If we are not, in terms of new jobs and new technology and new industry, if we're not leading the way, 
you know China and India are. They are. That's this is their. They're they've. Yeah, they've been big polluters, and we know, we know that. So is the United States, but now they have commit. They they recognize they've got to make a change. They are making a change. They are leading the way there. With our abandoning the field to them, they're going to totally surpass us in the field of renewable energy technology. Yes, and those uh, are under the Trump policy. And that's a place where jobs have been growing in the United States at an incredibly I, rapid pace. I mentioned this morning, I, I heard this on NPR last night, so I, I'll tell you my source, that today there is, for every one job in the coal industry, there are today five renewable energy jobs. Right. So that's where we're moving, right? That's and the future. That's Trump the reality. That's where we're moving, yeah. But we're, we're sure. moving. It's where and we that's are. Where Donald Trump, yeah, yeah. And Trump is trying to make people believe that those coal jobs are coming back. They are not coming back. No. And but he's speaking about to listen to him yesterday, the Pittsburgh that he dis, that he described, the oh, Youngstown. Yeah. You no, know, he was he his whole mind frame was in perhaps in early 1970s. You know, these these jobs, these steel factories shut mm-hmm. down in the mid 70s and early 80s as, you know, as globalization moved a lot of this commodity production to to other countries and to other economies but you know but that has long since i mean the mayor of pittsburgh put it so well i mean he came back and said the pittsburgh that trump is describing is from the 1940s that's not right. pittsburgh currently is a is exploding in its green jobs it you know allegheny county as well yeah i have to tell you, i walked out of the white house yesterday and i was thinking i just walked out of a um a parallel universe, like right. you know, there's a bubble. There's a bubble in the White. If you're in the White House, then you think that Donald Trump has created millions and millions and millions of jobs. He has turned this country around. He just came back from a spectacularly successful trip in Europe. He brought peace to the Middle East. He solved the Israeli Israel-Palestinian crisis. He, you know, won everybody's hearts in NATO and and there. The, the way they talk in the White House is so different from the real world. It is stunning. And I walked down on Pennsylvania Avenue, and I was just looking around the, the crowds there, and I was thinking, like, nobody on this side of the fence believes what they believe inside and what they say inside the fence. You know what I mean? It's a good way to put it. Well, and They're really out of touch. And Scott Pruitt, I think, no, nothing put drove that home for me quite like hearing EPA Administrator Scott Pruitt, who followed Donald Trump yesterday. No, wait a minute. He followed our dear leader. Uh, <laughs> the dear spoke, leader Trump. He spoke oh, for God. two minutes. Didn't he sound like he was in North Korea speaking uh, about the he, dear leader? He said the word you 21 times, I counted, in two minutes. He, he was... Uh, Stop it. Yes. No. He, uh, was, he was... You are so wonderful, your Mr. Courage, President. Your, your courage. Your um, courage. Yes. You know, you have reasserted American sovereignty. The notion that American no, was sovereignty disgusting. was was disgusting. ever in in danger. Oh, it was just, um, but it was very much what I came away thinking. That was Pruitt's words were directed to Trump. That there was an audience of one there. Um, he was current, and this is something we're seeing more and more. Whether it's from Spicer or from administration aides, Total. I'm telling you, it's the dear leader. Complex. Well, they're that playing the, to um, to the boss, and lo and behold, today Pruitt is going to be joining Sean Spicer. In the briefing room, so yeah, it yeah. would appear that his performance yesterday um, got the thumbs up from the boss. But yeah, I, as these mess, you know, as the White House fields so many different problems, and as people begin to understand how how much flattery works with this president, 
we're beginning to see you know, very... Well, we uh, saw it yesterday with yeah. Mike, Mike Pence starting out by saying what a wonderful job Donald Trump is doing, what a wonderful man he is. He's out there fighting for me every day. Mm, God bless America. And then Donald Trump, of course, touting his own horn, starting out by bragging about all the things he's accomplished since he's been in the White House. And then followed by Scott Pruitt saying how wonderful he is. That's what it was. It, it was, was like, awkward. I, it was. Oh, I, I was almost embarrassed by the time Pruitt was finished. I, you know, York without your courage, sir. And Trump is standing right there. It, you know, it, I was kidding? trying to. He was sucking it up every word of it. Well, that's the thing, right? Like he loves that we, stuff. I, I mentioned this earlier, but you know, like Republicans for so long, they made Obama to be. This arrogant emperor, you know, and ivory tower. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and you look at this crap that Trump makes his people do, and it's not necessarily. I mean, he makes them do it, but also they are doing this to please him. It works. Nothing can ever. Yeah, it does. Like Barack Obama never brought out a jazz band to play when he made an announcement, and he didn't load the crowd up with his staffers to applaud every word. He didn't make. All of his uh, cabinet secretaries put out statements that had no, like Betsy DeVos put out this over the top, uh, glowing re- like review of Donald Trump's uh, Paris stuff. I'm like she has nothing to do with that. Great, I don't care what, what do you, she thinks about. What Paris? do you have to do with it? Yeah, uh, the education secretary. Yeah. yeah, but like they all have to line up and just praise him like a child. Yeah. All right. On other news. Uh, <laughs> just, Is there any other news? Well, yes. I want to ask you. About, so t- tell us about the James Comey thing. How do you, uh, other than being great television, what can we expect there? Is he going to, Is he going to? Uh, you know, first of all, he's no longer with the FBI, right? Yes. He, okay. So he's gone. So he can say anything he wants, right? Yes. Is he going to level Donald Trump? I mean, is he going to tell the truth about Don Trump, or do you think? He'll I believe tr- he is going to tell the truth, unless Trump invokes executive privilege. How can he do that? Um, the, his con- Trump's conversations, uh, the the president, and can can always invoke executive privilege to protect what his internal conversations. When he and Comey had these conversations, Comey was still his FBI director. Oh, you know, so he so, could put a cone of silence yes, around that. Yes, he could. Um, however, Kellyanne Conway suggested this morning on television that um, she said the White House is looking forward to, they'll be watching, looking forward to. So, so she really didn't indicate um, that, that this executive privilege is going, to be, um, is going to be invoked. Not that she knows. Well, that's a thing, too, yeah, as well. Right. Yeah, right. Okay. Um, but but yeah, he so could, Donald Trump, in effect, could prevent his test, pardon me, his testifying yes. by invoking executive privilege? Yes. I dare him. <laughs> yeah. I dare him to do that. I, yeah. I, we will see. I think. Um, so I don't mean to no, interrupt. No. I don't mean to interrupt, but like whatever Comey wants to say is coming out. Whether he says it in front of a public hearing or if he gets shut down, it'll come out. He so could, shut it down and look like he, an idiot, and he, then you're still going to get wrecked. He could go on CNN. He could come on this program and sure. say that if he doesn't testify, what are they going to do? Arrest him? Yeah, he can't do that. No. Well, yeah. and as as we've seen every day, a little bit of the like a little bit more and a little bit more. Right. Um, all these details of the FBI investigation, I uh, you know, there's a lot of loyalty to Comey still in the FBI, and I sort of jokingly call it the revenge of Jim Comey. It'll be well, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how the Republicans on the committee uh, treat James Comey because yes. they were you know they loved him when he was taken on Hillary Clinton. Uh, it would be. It seems to me it would be hard for them to defend Donald Trump's attempt to shut down the administration. They may just shut up, or they may try 
more likely to change the subject to the leakers. Exactly. Whoever leaked it. Right. right. Yeah. Um, right. I, I think they'll try to pivot and um, and get him talking about anything but. Right. Um, Donald Trump, one of the arguments that uh, people made that the reason he had to uh, pull out of the Paris Accords was because he keeps his promises, man. He makes promises and he has to keep his promises. Otherwise, his base would get very upset of him. Another promise that Donald Trump made was that he was going to move the American embassy in Israel from day one. He was going to move it to Jerusalem. Yeah. That is not going to happen, at least for now. Found that yesterday. Yes. Um, and, and this was, you know, as with so many of he's, Trump's he's policies. He's not the first president to make that promise and then not follow through. Right. George W. Bush did the same thing. Yes. Um, and and this is, you know, it's another, it was a campaign promise. It sounds easy to do. Um, I mean, I think in a way this, the, putting the brakes on what I believe would be a very rash decision and potentially damaging in the region um, was an example, perhaps, of Trump understanding more, um, more context of what's going on. Uh, you know, he's now been in the region for probably... Yeah, maybe he was listening when President Abbas said this would be a mistake and this would really probably uh, negate any any possibility of getting a peace deal. Yes, but it, perhaps it wasn't Abbas. Perhaps it was... So um, are we it was, really saying that Donald Trump Saudi is Arabia. capable of listening and changing his mind? I think he's capable of better understanding things he did not understand at all. Well, that worked on this in this case. It didn't work on healthcare, and it didn't work on uh, on Paris. But right, right, I know. Just strange that it's sort of out there as one area where clearly, uh, right. he did break a promise. And it, right, well, and it does. It suggests that and he got counsel him. from someone. I know. It suggests that he's able to take counsel. Yes. Um, but he also, you know, it's so much with him about how you deliver it to him. And, you know, you put your, your suggestion between two compliments. And, <laughs> you know, truly. And um, How am uh, I doing? Am I doing okay? I'm president. <laughs> hey, I'm president. Ex you believe it, right? Right. Uh, you've written about uh, some ethics waivers that um, the Trump administration has been handing out, like uh, M&Ms down at the White House. Who, who, who's getting them? Why are they getting? Them? What's this all mean? So, um, when you take a job in the White House, uh, you need to to separate yourself from your p potential conflicts of interest. So, your former employer, if you used to work for Goldman Sachs, typically they'll ask you to recuse yourself from anything having to do with Goldman Sachs. That's what um, what we understand that that uh, Gary Cohn did, um, and and that's pretty straightforward. In some cases, however. It, it's not it would be impractical or almost impossible for you to rec fully recuse yourself. Um, so, for instance, Mike Pence's uh, chief of staff um, used to be a lobbyist for the state of Indiana. He now works for Mike Pence. Great. Um, I understand he's a good guy, but he he may have to deal with Indiana in his work with Mike Pence. So he got himself an ethics waiver, a special legal uh, carve out that said, you know, most people aren't allowed to, to interact with who they formerly worked with when they're in the White House, but you can because it really is, it's paramount to you being able to do your job that you can talk to all 50 states. Uh -huh. So right. that's an okay. example of a really reasonable waiver. Um, however, Trump, Trump has given out so far waivers to 17 of his top White House staffers. Most of them are to, to interact with their former employers. Um, some of them uh, are to interact with their former clients. So Kellyanne Conway, who ran a very successful polling and consulting business, um, she got a special waiver to interact with her former clients. Um, there's Reince Priebus, 
got a waiver to, to, to continue communicating with the Republican National Committee, which he used to chair. That's, it's actually quite reasonable. Yeah, you know, he, right. he has to do it. Um, six lawyers from Jones Day, from the White Shoe Law Firm that, uh, that the White House counsel, Don McGahn, came from, were granted waivers to continue working uh, you know, and, and working with Jones Day. That's a lot. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we had a total of 17 in the last four months. To put that in perspective, in his entire eight years in office, Obama granted 17 top White House staff waivers. Whoa. Drain the swamp. Right. <laughs> so, that's, a, that's a phrase you don't hear anymore, by the way. Yeah. N- no. 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 Yeah. Uh, you can't uh, run around saying uh, drain the swamp. Unless it's on shows like this one. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. <laughs> right. We put an exclamation point on it. But yeah, so these are. Uh, that's um, true. <laughs> that is true. Thank you, Mr. <laughs> So these waivers were granted. Now, a question has come up about some. Steve Bannon also appears to have gotten there appears there's a waiver granted to all White House staff um, that allowed them to interact with all media, um, media organizations, including ones they might have worked for. Hinted. Mm -hmm. Um, Bannon has been in touch, we understand, with the Breitbart News Organization since he joined the White House. So this really was is seen as applying very directly to him. Um, the question that has come up in the last day or so is a bunch of these waivers have no dates on them. And that that's not how this stuff typically works. Yeah. Um, typically, if you you get a waiver before you start and and if you don't want to run into ethics problems, and you don't want to violate the rules. You, you, there's no such thing as a retroactive waiver. Um, if, if you need one of those, well, you've already probably broken the rules. Uh, so these are, but is there a ban on lobbyists in the Trump administration like there was in the Obama administration, uh, absent a waiver? No. Yeah, right. But the, these are just yes, and and the waivers that were granted on, these uh, these particular four lobbyists got them, and they are um, they were specifically so that these lobbyists could work on issues that they had um, that they formerly worked on in the private sector. Yeah, right. So you know, so they could work on the, the very same issues. Uh, Christina Wilkie here again with us from the Huffington Post, HuffingtonPost.com. Uh, I thought you were HuffPost now. We are, but we haven't changed the, you know, oh, the, okay. the dot, dot com. But yes, HuffPost. HuffPost, Huff, HuffingtonPost.com. So um, what now, obviously, Steve Bannon, we know Steve Bannon, they, they, they want us to know that Steve Bannon and Scott Pruitt are the ones that delivered this uh, decision on Paris. Uh, it wasn't so long ago that we were all sitting here talking about Steve Bannon's on his way out, my he, right? <laughs> and then it's right, Priebus is on his way out. Then Sean Spicer's on his way out. I mean, what what is going on? We did we did have uh, Mike Dupke, the communications director, resign. Everybody thought, well, you know, like when we had our first briefing this week on Tuesday, I think Monday or t- no, not Monday, it's a holiday, Tuesday. Everybody thought, well, this is going to be the beginning of a whole. The whole thing's going to unravel. Is there going to be any staff shakeup? Or right now, your guess is as good as mine. Um, I mean, right now, the scuttlebutt seems to be that um, that Reince Priebus could be headed for a different job um, or could have his job shifted. Um, it's always, imp- I mean, it's ambassador imp- to Greece is what, they're talking <laughs> what about. Roger Stone said. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, that's that's far out. But um, but you know, it's interesting. Recall that Trump, for all of his, you're fired. Uh, tagline, he really doesn't um, typically fire his closest staff. Um, he has stayed, you know, he, he does it very reluctantly. He was very reluctant to fire Mike Flynn, um, you know, to, to ask for his resignation. Um, so mm-hmm. you know, absent um, an inexcusable uh, you know, 
mess up, f up. Um, you yeah. know, I'd I'd be very surprised um, to see any of these P- people go f- permanently. Plus, he seems to en- enjoy the chaos and the turmoil around him, right? I mean, I think he kind of, I think he creates it. He does and thrives on it. Yes, um, I mean, it, it goes back to that sense that he he lives for the fight. He lives for that zero sum. There's got to be a winner and a loser. And it, you can see it in the way he spoke about the Paris Accord. You can see it in the way he runs his office. You can see it in the way he speaks about America as this, you know, down and out fighter in the corner, you know, with blood coming out of her, her <laughs> lip. And, you know, I mean, who's been taken advantage of and pushed around. We're talking and, and you, you would forget that we're talking about a global superpower. But um, but that's how he views his whole universe. So he he likes having um, his staffers in contention with one another. He thinks it keeps them on their toes. Um, what I understand is that it creates actually a really toxic place to work. Um, and and this kind of fighting spirit means that people are stabbing each other in the back. They're leaking to a number of them. Uh, we've heard that they leak to journalists, let tell them something so that a journalist will write something so that the president can see it in print. And then think it's true, or respond to it, or or res- or talk to another staffer about it. Yeah. Um, and the other thing we we, we saw this week, and uh, Sean Spicer announced it, I think it was on Wednesday, um, is that from now on they've got a White House counsel, uh, a, a special outside attorney who's been hired to hand deal with any questions concerning Russia. So right. they've kind of said, okay, that's over here. We're over here. We're on the president's agenda. Russia, we don't want to talk about it. Ask this guy. Uh, our job, uh, we are focused on the president's agenda, and all going forward, all questions on these matters will be referred to outside counsel Mark Kasowitz. This was this is what um, a responsible White House should have done two months ago, as soon as this investigation be- began to dominate fact, the news. In fact, we gave them that advice on this program. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, yeah, like Bill Clinton did with Monica. Yes. Brought in Lanny Davis, had that all over, that shop was over here, and Mike McCurry just talked about new, uh, issues of the day. Exactly. And we saw on Tuesday, we saw Spicer just get tongue-tied and turned around and upside down Total. trying to trying to explain what he couldn't say. He wouldn't comment on Jared Kushner's meetings with, yeah. with the Russian bank exec. Then he, he said... I think what I just said speaks for itself. Um, Goodbye. Uh, which uh, you know, and, and we, it was just through the looking glass. And so the fact that they're that they're not going to be asking Spicer to answer these in- very complicated legal questions, um, I think, is good for them. It's good for the American people. It's great for Spicer. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> no, absolutely right. Hey, Christina, great to see you. Good day to come in. Thanks so much. Thanks, and Bill. Uh, uh, just a little. Uh, a reminder that we're going to be joined next by the uh, chair, new chair of the Democratic National Committee, Tom Perez, a good friend. And uh, he'll be here to answer not only my questions, but yours. Um, Peter, how do people get their questions into the chairman? At BP Show, at BP Show. Send us a tweet. All right. Uh, you got it, Christine. We'll see you again soon. See you soon. Quick break. Back with Chairman Tom Perez. It is an actual mistake both for the U.S. and for our planet. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is The Bill Press Show. What would happen if you didn't follow the established path? If you did the unexpected? Would you feel scared? Proud? Relieved? 
But you explained that helping the people of Peru improve their own community would also have an effect on your own. Or assisting an entrepreneur in Ukraine to launch her small business. Or creating a support group in Malawi for children orphaned by AIDS. What if you established your own path? One that others might follow. Would you rather make your own way? Or spend your life saying, what if? Life is calling. How far will you go? Peace Corps. To find out more, call 1-800-424-8580. Or go to peacecorps.gov. About two or three months ago, I started having money problems. Ever since then, I've had a pretty hard time keeping up with the bills. The worst part is I can't make the house payments. So when the phone started to ruin mortgage people calling, I didn't pick it up. I just couldn't. And the notices were coming in the mail, too. Lots of them. Now I may lose my house, and I don't know what to do. If you're facing foreclosure, doing nothing only puts you deeper in the hole. Now's the time to dig yourself out. Call 1-888-995-HOPE today. That's 1-888-995-4673. Because nothing is worse than doing nothing. A public service announcement brought to you by NeighborWorks, the Ad Council, and this station. Coast to coast, from Shoshone to Sierra, White Mountain to Davy Crockett. They're more than our national forests, they are national treasures. But they are being devastated by fire as never before. The Arbor Day Foundation asks for your help in replanting our national forests to help restore their life-giving benefits and awe-inspiring splendor. Visit arborday.org. See what we're doing. See how you can help. If you don't clean up your room, the Board of Health is going to condemn it. The Board of Health doesn't even know about your room. What's more, they don't care. You know, if you keep making that face, it's going to freeze that way. Not unless you're someplace really, really cold. Actually, a lot of the warnings moms hand out are exaggerated. If you don't get your blood pressure checked, you could have high blood pressure, not even know it, and you could die from a stroke. But she's right about that one. Call the American Heart Association or visit our website to learn more. Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Here we go on a Friday, June 2nd. Great to see everybody. Thank you for joining us, The Bill Press Show, live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, reaching out to you coast to coast uh, on television, on the radio, and it's good to have you with us. Uh, and a special honor to uh, welcome to the program the new chair, I keep calling you the new chair, it still hasn't been a year yet, right? Been <laughs> About three months. Three months. Chair of the Democratic National Committee, the Honorable Tom Perez here in studio with us. Mr. Chairman, it's good to see you. Bill, it's always great to be with you and your listeners. Thank you. And uh, we have a little bit, it's a very appropriate that you're here right at this moment, a little bit of breaking news. 
from uh, Peter Ogburn. Yes, indeed. We got the uh, unemployment numbers in this morning because it is the first Friday of the month. Payroll unemployment or pay- payroll employment rises by 138,000 jobs in May. Unemployment rate changes little to 4.3 percent. So uh, put your uh, hat on, mm-hmm. your former hat on, as Secretary of Labor. Uh, what's this mean? Well, it's a mediocre report, Bill. Uh, you look at uh, job growth in the Trump administration, and he likes to trumpet his job growth. It's actually yeah. down from uh, where we were in the Obama years, uh, and it's down from where it was a year ago by about 20,000 uh, jobs per month. And uh, and so he talks a mean game about creating jobs, but uh, talk is cheap. And when you do things like exit the Parrot Climate uh, treaty. Uh, that that's just killer. That I, the thing as I when I watch that happen, aside from the environmental disaster and the leadership failure, uh, that's a job killer because you look at Pennsylvania. You know, he referenced. Uh, I'm 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 mm. here to represent Pittsburgh, not Paris. Yeah, right. Well, actually, that's a great example because in Pennsylvania there are about sixty-eight thousand clean energy related jobs, including about thirteen thousand in Pittsburgh. Um, and roughly less than half, uh, like 30,000 or something, jobs in the uh, fossil fuel coal sector. And so if you want to talk about growing this economy, you should be investing and innovating in, in clean energy. And so this jobs report is uh, you know, pretty mediocre. And uh, the job creation under this president has been much less than what we saw in the Obama years. The entire argument that he made yesterday, uh, uh, and I was there in the Rose Garden, in pulling out of Paris was because this is going to save American jobs, this is going to create American jobs by getting out. In fact, he said if we stayed in, it would cost six and a half million jobs would be lost to the United States if we stayed out of Paris. So from a, you know, not just from a political, from a jobs point of view, what does... Yeah. Pulling out of Paris mean for the United States? Well, the, I mean, that's another alternative universe of alternative facts. I mean, it's uh, there we go again, mm-hmm. <laughs> to quote a, a different yeah. president. Uh, and you always have to look at what has made America great. What's made America great is our innovative spirit. And the innovation that's going to jo- drive job growth for decades to come here, Bill, is the clean energy economy. Estimates are that the clean energy economy in the United States alone, clean energy jobs are expected to be, uh, it's going to be a $6 trillion industry by 2030, a $6 trillion industry. And let me give you an example. I grew up in Buffalo, New York. I watched the steel jobs go away in my youth. Republic Steel was a huge employer. That plant that was uh, shuttered for two or three decades, Mm -hmm. is now being replaced by the largest solar panel manufacturing facility in the Western Hemisphere, a solar city plant. We invested in that in the Department of Labor because we were investing in the human capital. We wanted to make sure that people have the skills to get those good middle-class jobs. And do you know who our competition is uh, for building more solar panel factories? It's China. And what are we doing when we leave the um, the Paris Treaty. We are ceding leadership to China. They've created an eight or nine hundred billion dollar infrastructure bank, and they're going to be using that in part for clean energy development. We should be building more solar panels in the United States. We should be building windmills here, and we're not. And you know who's cleaning our clock on that? It's China. And mm-hmm. when you walk away, that's what you do. And so, are we going to? It's important. And, and I listened to the president's speech yesterday, and, and it's important to understand cost and benefits. 
Do we lose some jobs in the fossil fuel area? Yes, we do. And mm-hmm. we, we should always acknowledge that. Are those costs far outweighed by the benefits? Absolutely, <laughs> by many, many magnitudes. And so when you just talk about costs and ignore the economic benefits, not to mention the environmental and the public health and the moral leadership benefits, you're really missing the mark. Right. Um, is this an issue, do you think, that uh, you, you travel around that, that, that the American people care about that this I mean, you know people are saying well he had to do this because he promises base he would have to do well, this. he promised his base he was going to bring jobs and uh I've, I've talked to a number of trump voters they said that they voted for him because they wanted change well i don't think losing your health insurance <clears throat> which is what they will do is the change they wanted i don't think losing that opportunity to get a job making uh solar panels is the change they wanted i visited in ohio a facility uh, an IBEW facility where they are teaching people how to repair windmills. It's a great middle-class job. But you know what? If we're not building windmills and yeah. we're not promoting alternative energy, then we're squandering jobs. So I, w- I talked direct. I, I funneled this entire conversation through the lens of my experience as labor secretary and the people I've talked to who understand. They want honest talk. I've been to I've been to coal country, Kentucky. I've helped people who've lost coal jobs. And I always looked them in the eye and said, you know what? I'm always going to speak truth to power. And I'm always going to fight for you. I'm not going to promise something that I can't deliver. But here's the promise I will make. We will always be on your side fighting to make sure you have skills to compete for good middle class jobs. That's what we did at the Department of Labor. The lies that they tell now that what he did yesterday is is just uh, unconscionable. So what Donald Trump says to those people is you voted for me. I'm going to bring your coal mines and I'm going to bring your coal jobs back. Right. And and again, let's let's Can he? look at No, because that and and by the way, I'm going to bring uh, you can't change forces that are out there. You you, you go to coal country Kentucky, the one of the reasons they're they're losing jobs there is because the cost of extraction is prohibitively expensive. They have mined basically all the coal they can mine there. Mm-hmm. And that is why what we did at the Labor Department, Bill, we worked with uh, people there. Uh, I, I remember a guy I met who uh, was a generational coal miner, and now he works um, as an EMT. He wanted to live at home. He wanted to stay there. He didn't want to leave. And we helped him punch his ticket to the middle class. We worked with other folks who uh, worked at a company called BitSource. They mm-hmm. used to be coal miners, and now they're learning how to do coding. From coal to code was the motto of, of, really? of the yeah. company. And, and that's what I think we need to do is not, not make these promises that you can't keep. And, and frankly, they're, you're praying into people's fears. And, and, and I've always believed that leaders need to lead, and you lead by telling the truth. And you lead by showing people that our innovation has always been our middle name as the United States of America. And that, to me, is what he ignores so much. The clean energy economy is our staple for future prosperity in this country. And that's what's missed in what happened yesterday. You you want to go back to the buggy whip. Yeah, right. Okay. So the state of the American economy to the state of the Democratic Party. Today, Republicans control the White House and the House and the Senate. Uh, They picked up about 1,000 state legislative seats over the last eight years. So the Democratic Party is kind of flat on its ass today. You're the new chairman. What are you going to do to rebuild it? 
I ran for this job for precisely all the reasons you just outlined. You know, when uh, when Democrats win, good things happen to good people. When we when we allow Republicans to win, not just the presidency, but state legislatures and elsewhere, uh, we see the carnage and chaos that occurs. And so we're getting right back to basics, Bill. I think uh, a big part of what we have to do differently and better is create a 12-month-a-year organizing presence. You know, we've become kind of a, what I call an accordion model of uh, party governance. You know, we expand in a presidential, mm-hmm. we contract in between, we shake our head and wonder why we lose midterms. I don't think that's a hard question to answer. We have to get back to basics. We need that 12-month organizing presence. That that person in Detroit who said to me, you got to stop coming to my church every 4th October and, and mm-hmm. telling me that you care. That person has a point. We need to invest in organizing. We need to invest in uh, training. We need to make sure we're partnering with the progressive movement, our, our friends in the labor movement, our friends in Planned Parenthood, our friends in the nonprofit world. And we need to make sure we're building a technology platform that is um, second to none. And that's exactly what we're doing. And we need to tell our message, Bill. You know, we, I have a lot of people, quite frankly, who say, I don't know what the Democratic Party stands for. We stand for the working person. We, we stand for economic security for everyone in every zip code. We believe our diversity is our greatest strength. We believe the Secretary of Education ought to believe in public, <laughs> public education. education. And we starters. believe that our EPA administrator actually ought to acknowledge the client, climate science uh, that's out there. And, and, and we've got to do a better job, frankly, as Democrats, of communicating that message and putting those values into action every day. And that's exactly what right, we're doing. So you say that, that, that uh, 24-7, 12 months a year organizing uh, campaign in every state? Yeah, we have to. Howard Dean, I think, uh, did the right thing. Uh, I was gonna he, say, so how, how, yeah. broad, how widespread is Absolutely. this? Absolutely. In, in 2005, Howard Dean inf- implemented a 50-state strategy. I would, I would expand it a little bit because it's not just the states, but the territories as well, the District of Columbia, Puerto Rico, et cetera. And the proof is in the pudding. In, in 2006, when we had implemented that strategy, uh, we took over the House we did much better in state legislatures. We laid the foundation for the president's victory. And, and we have been making that down payment now. And let me give you uh, one example. You know, we invested in a state Senate race in Delaware uh, a couple months ago. The, uh, the fate of uh, the state Senate hung in the balance. Whoever won that race, the party was going to control the Senate. Four years earlier, that race had been razor thin. I think it was a point and a half. This time around, we invested at the DNC. The state party invested. We had partners, whether it was our revolution, other um, grassroots organizations, and we won by 16 points. In Washington state, there's a a special election coming up in District 45. I met the candidate um, uh, there recently. She's a wonderful candidate. It's just a state legislative race? This is a state Senate race, and whoever wins this state Senate race, again, the Democrats win then the Democrats can control the state Senate. They already have the House. They have a wonderful governor in Jay Inslee. Mm -hmm. And so we get control of all three. We have roughly a dozen DNC people down in Georgia 6 right now because I think we can pull off that upset victory on June the 20th. Uh, Tomorrow, I'm going to be in South Carolina because we're, uh, we're doing something we call resistance summer. And it's a down payment on what I've said, that the organizing strategy. And, and we're going all across the country to talk to people. We, did, we need to listen to people better, um, Bill. And I'm going to be in South Carolina tomorrow with the candidate for 
uh, Congress in in that uh, uh, special election. I wanted to ask you about that because I saw that announcement. You're you're there with I believe um, Randy Weingarten, who's a good friend, a president uh, good of friend the of uh, uh, AFT, AFT. Uh, and I think Congressman Keith Con- Ellison is going to be with you as well. Uh, uh, Keith is going to be somewhere else. Oh, okay. I'm going to be down there with uh, Jim Clyburn. Oh, with Jim Clyburn, uh, yeah. right? In, and uh, in, uh, and, South uh, and so Jamie resi- Harrison. Resistance Summer. What's it all about? It's what's all about it's all about getting out there and talking to people, telling folks what we stand for. I, I was at the White House, you know, at Lafayette Park yesterday uh, because there was a rally in response to the president's decision to withdraw from the Paris Accords. I've, I've been there many times, whether it's fighting the Muslim ban, whether it's uh, fighting for immigration fairness, whether it's fighting for good jobs, uh, fighting to save Planned Parenthood. And we need to be out there. Uh, I, I know I have three millennial kids, and, and you know the, the millennial generation may not have the attachment that I have to the Democratic <laughs> Party, but we have total alignment in our values. And what I think we need to do and what Resistance Summer is all about is getting out in communities and telling people what we as Democrats stand for. It's all about re- refreshing our voter file, too, getting more information about what people care about and putting that into the voter file. And it's about partnering with whether it's the Indivisibles, whether it's SEIU, whether it's Planned Parenthood. We had 100 people come to our training, 100 different organizations, actually over 100 organizations come to our training. So I'm very excited excited about this. All right. So um, yesterday, uh, actually two days ago, uh, in out in California, um, our Democratic candidate, Hillary Clinton, spoke to a group called the Recode Conference. She was asked about the reasons that she uh, was not successful last November. And she cited others before, uh, including James Comey and the Russians and the WikiLeaks. Um, and uh, people were surprised, I think, when she said, one of the people that really let her down was the Democratic National Committee. Here is uh, Hillary Clinton. I inherit nothing from the Democratic Party. What do you mean nothing? I mean it was bankrupt. It was on the verge of insolvency. Its data was mediocre to poor, non-existent, wrong. So you were there, not there at the time, mm-hmm. Mr. Chairman, but is she right to blame the DNC? Well, I think there are a number of factors that uh, resulted in the election results in in 2016, where she won the popular vote, as we know, but didn't win the general election. I'm I'm very focused on the future, and I, and one thing I know, and the reason I ran for the DNC chair is because I know we have to up our game at the DNC. You know, when you have a size seven budget and a size 14 need, you don't do everything that you need to do to make sure you're firing on all cylinders. And whether it's organizing, as I've discussed, whether it's building a a 22nd century technology platform, whether it's making sure we're expanding our partnerships with people in the progressive movement, we've got to up our game in all of those areas. I I have great respect for the folks that are working at the DNC. We need more of them. Our reorganization is all about that. I'm very excited about the chief technology officer uh, that I expect to hire in the coming weeks. And I'm really excited about the um, the level of engagement that folks who are so tech savvy, we, we've established um, a tech advisory council consisting of people who were, you know, who really built uh, the tech platforms of very recognizable business businesses across America. We need to up our game, Bill. There's yeah. no doubt about it, and that's exactly so, why I ran for this, and that's what we're going to do. So you agree that the DNC was not doing its job? 
Well, I think the DNC was doing its job in the best way it could. And when you, again, you know, there's a lot of things that happened last year. You know, the, the hack. Um, I mean, I, I talked to Mr. Uh, Rich, uh, the father of, of Seth, a week or two ago. Um, and that was, I mean, that, that, what, what happened to him breaks my heart. And then, and then these subsequent of, efforts of, of revictimization. What do you think of the Sean Hannity uh, uh, conspiracy theory? In the, in I think it's unconscionable. Uh, it's absolutely unconscionable, and uh, at, you know, the, the, they've been victims. And then to try to revictimize them—that just that—that that is so below the belt. Allow the family to grieve. Allow them to try to move on. It, it, there is no new normal for the rich family because they don't have their son back. Uh, stop this nonsense, Sean Hannity. Stop it. And. And, and, you know, so we, we had a, a tough patch at the DNC. There's no doubt about it. And the DNC was the victim of a hack. I mean, that, there's, that's undeniable. Right. Uh, what's equally undeniable is that we need to up our game. And, and I'm, I am really appreciative of the, of the talent that we have there. I'm, I'm also mindful of the work we have to do to uh, not only bring in additional uh, reinforcements, but to build that tech infrastructure and organizing infrastructure and digital infrastructure of the 22nd century. Uh, we have, uh, you know, Mr. Chairman, um, put out the word that but thanks yeah, to um, your staff told us that you'd be uh, willing to take some questions from all of our people across the country on Twitter. Um, and uh, not that I've run out of questions, but I want to be sure that having promised sure. that we give them that opportunity. Absolutely. Um, Peter? We're on got... Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. You can follow us there. We get a lot of, uh, got a lot of questions about Outreach. Uh, Ed Powers asked specifically, can we at the precinct level expect support for neighborhood outreach from the DNC moving forward? That's the short answer is yes. And the, the slightly longer answer is that's exactly what Resistance Summer is about. It's about getting out there at the local level, talking to people. We've invested in this. We, we have uh, we're giving money to state parties, not just. Parties in battleground states, but parties uh, in as every a, state. As a former who, state chair, I uh, applaud uh, that effort. Amen. And we're getting out there because I know all you know, all politics is, in fact, local. And we want folks knocking on doors, talking about that school board candidate, talking about uh, the issues that matter most to people, and then and then helping to um, build our voter file. So, absolutely, is the answer to his question. Uh, Melissa says whether the primary was rigged or not, for many millions. More than the Dems need to win ever, Dems need to win more now than ever again. The perception is that it was rigged, the uh, primary. How do you plan to restore trust in the party when just the word Democrat now causes millions to tune out over perception of a rigged primary? Well, that's why I make a lot of house calls. Uh, I've been going all over the country uh, talking, listening, learning from people because you don't simply get trust by winning an election. You have to earn your trust by your actions and by your outreach. And that's why, for instance, I spent a week uh, with Senator Sanders. I talked to a lot of voters, some of whom were registered Democrats, some of whom weren't, all of whom I think share our values and share our understanding that Rome is burning right now and we have to come together uh, to take on Donald Trump and come together to articulate our positive message of inclusion and opportunity. And so I'm going to keep working at that. And, and we're going to make sure that the, the presidential primary process is totally transparent, is fair to everyone. We have a unity commission right now that's focused on a number of issues that grew out of uh, the Democratic primary process. They're meeting actually today in San Antonio. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to keep working to earn everybody's trust. So I'm a Bernie bro, okay? You know that. And uh, 
there is a there's a tension. There's a feeling among a lot of, of Bernie supporters that there's this still tension between establishment Democrats and progressive Democrats, and a fear that the DNC or the official Democratic Party won't give progressive candidates a chance. Won't won't you know really strongly support progressive candidates. What's your response? Well, I I see that. We do. My response is that absolutely we're going to be supporting great candidates. And you look at our platform. Our platform is the most progressive platform in the history of the Democratic Party. Bill, I work for Ted Kennedy. Uh, You know, Ted Kennedy always said to me, you know, Tom, uh, someday I want people to look at me as uh, a proud. Uh, leader in the accomplishments wing of the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. And he understood that uh, what we were doing as progressives was making progress on behalf of working families. And he did a lot of that. And I was proud to play a small role in that. And that's what I carried into my job as labor secretary, taking on fights. And, and what we want in our candidates, what we want in our party, are people who are fighting for the underdog, people who are taking on those tough challenges, whether it's fighting Trump on climate fighting Wall Street on uh, overreach, uh, fighting uh, the Muslim ban, fighting for immigrants, uh, fighting for a woman's right to choose. That, that's what we're about. And is Bernie part of this process? I hope so. And that's why we traveled together. Uh, you know, we, he um, has touched, uh, you know, such passions in, in people and inspired passions in people. And that's why we traveled together for almost a week, because I understand that uh, many of the folks that I met uh, we're not registered Democrats, and mm-hmm. my goal is to win the hearts, minds, and votes of those people. Of those people, right. Here's a comment or uh, question, I should say, from the YouTube chat room, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show from Dan Grzynski. Will the Democrats ever support single-payer health care? Well, I support health care for all, and our, our, um, our platform very unequivocally says that health care is a right for all and not a privilege for a few. Uh, if I were, you know, king for a day and could do everything on my own, I would certainly uh, have something either like Medicare for all or single payer. But right now, what we have to understand is there is an unmitigated effort to repeal what was one of the most important additions to the social compact in 40 years, and that was the Affordable Care Act. And 23 million people are in danger of losing their health care. I talked to a person last week who said, I'm diabetic and I'm scared to death that I'm going to lose my health care coverage. I, I talked to a family of uh, triplets, and, and they're, they're, one of their triplets had a year in the hospital, $1.5 million in bills. Because of the Affordable Care Act, they didn't have to file for bankruptcy. And uh, they fear for anybody else who uh, may be giving birth to triplets in the future. And so what we have to do right now is is fight to make sure that we tell that Donald Trump voter who may have someone in their family fighting the opioid epidemic that when you, um, when you go after Medicaid or when you uh, attempt to repeal the Affordable Care Act or when you implement the budget that they've put out there, you're hurting folks. And so... We have to play this defense right now. It's critically important. And at the same time, we need to articulate our vision. And our vision is, you know, we believe that health care is a right for all and not a privilege for a few. You mentioned Delaware. You mentioned Washington State. At the federal level, too, at the congressional level, uh, Democrats need a win. Where, where are Democrats going to get their first yeah, win? We need to keep – we're going to keep swinging the bat. And, and it's important to remember that the districts where we've had these special elections are, are, have been beat red – uh, Republican mm-hmm. districts. I mean, Kansas, we usually lose by 30 in that district, yeah. and uh, I think we lost by seven. 
the House seat in Montana has been in Republican hands for roughly 20 years. In Georgia, that's Newt Gingrich's old seat. I think we can pull it off there. Uh, I've been down there. Uh, we have invested there. We've got a dozen organizers there. We've got a digital person there. And I'm going to South Carolina tomorrow because I believe that upsets happen. And, and we need your uh, we need these listeners uh, to continue your advocacy on behalf of there, these candidates. There it is. There's your appeal to join a Democrats.org. It's Resistance Summer, right? Resistance, uh, Summer. Resistance Summer. Resistance Summer.com. Resistance Be part of it. Thank this you, Mr. Chairman, for coming in. Thanks Great for what to you're be doing. with you.